You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another edition of Banner Friday, which is our weekly show talking about IU hoops that is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel and that we usually reserve just for our private community members. But this week we are switching it up a bit. We are making Banner Friday available in our main podcast feed here for you folks watching and listening on YouTube uh, to kind of give our non-community members a little bit of a taste of the extra content that you get when you sign up, uh, you know, and to help provide your IU men's basketball fix since we canceled Assembly Call Radio last night with the IU women taking on and beating uh, number five Iowa. Uh, So this is just a little taste. And if you want more, uh, not just of Banner Friday, but also of Tony Adrania's IU Film Room and Coach Tonsoni's Coach's Corner, my statistical deep dives, and all the great daily conversations uh, that are had by members uh, you know, in our community about the men's team, about the women's team, about other IU sports, then you should consider joining our community. You can learn more at assemblycall.com slash community. We do have a special free trial offer that's going on right now. We're going to take that away soon, uh, but we want to give you a chance to you know, kind of try things out, see if it's right for you before you commit. So it's assemblycall.com slash community assemblycall.com slash community, and you'll have access to all of this stuff uh, every week. And we'd love to have you in there because, goodness gracious, Coach, you know, this is setting up to be quite a February here between the men's team uh, and the women's team. There's going to be a lot of fun basketball to talk about, it looks like. Yeah, there's been some winning going on uh, in Bloomington, which is nice to nice to talk about, nice to have, nice to look forward to uh, as the games start uh, piling up uh, every two or three days on both sides. And it's just fun, man. That women's team was remarkable in, in their win last evening. Um, just just a, a program that, you know, you, you want to see build. And it was great when they won the NIT. And then it just kept building and building and building. And now you see the fruits of all that labor, the Coach Moran and staff and all of the young ladies that have been in that program. It, it's just good to see. It is. It is. So today, uh, Mike DeCourcy is going to be here. He's our usual guest here on Banner Friday. So he'll be with us to talk about the Hoosiers, to talk about the Big Ten. And then we have another special guest, Brendan Quinn, uh, will be here. Brendan Quinn from The Athletic and from the Moving Screen Pod to talk specifically uh, about the matchup that is coming this weekend for Indiana with Michigan. And then, Coach, we opened up the mailbag, and we got a lot of really good, interesting questions. So whatever time we have left after we talk to those two fine gentlemen, uh, we will answer some of your really good uh, mailbag questions that you put in. So that is what we have on tap here. For those of you who are here live, we will be watching the chat, so feel free to pop in. John says hi. Uh, Good to see you, John. So yeah, pop in questions, topics that you want us to hit. Uh, We'll be happy to, to cover those as well, uh, here with me and Coach Tom. So I'm very excited to. to <laughs> <laughs> I need to change my handle. On yeah, the- you do. <laughs> you do. You know, the funny thing as we wait for uh, Mike to get here, you know, the thing about the women's team is coming into the year, like my big question about them was okay, last year it was really built on you know, toughness and defense, right? And you had Ali Patberg and, you know, Nikki Cardano Hillary, and they were just, they were such, you know, they were a little bit undersized and they didn't shoot it quite well enough, but man, you knew the defense and the toughness were going to be there. 
that was kind of my worry this year. It's like, okay, we've got the shooters in, but are we going to lose? And man, we have not. I mean, the the toughness, the defense, it's all still there. And now they've just added so much more firepower offensively, which just makes them really, really tough to deal with. So <laughs> it's Coach Tom to ground control. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is catching on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it is. Man, they can shoot the basketball. They share the basketball. They got inside, outside. Uh, and then they have some people who can guard, too. Uh, you know, I thought they did a, a reasonable job on uh, Clark uh, yesterday, and uh, they got a huge win. And I know they got some tough games coming up on their schedule, and they're going to have to play uh, that way to secure that uh, number one seed, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here with us, he is a longtime writer for the Sporting News and an analyst for the Big Ten Network. He's the Mike that we all want to be like. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the great Mike DeCourcy here joining us on Banner Friday. How are you, Mike? Now, I didn't properly prepare for this because I didn't know that I was going to be double teamed. I didn't right. know that <laughs> I was going to be in the company of, you know, twice the greatness. So um, I hope I, I hope I'm okay. Mike, we've won seven out of eight games. There's just so much excitement and enthusiasm. We just want to get on here and talk about this as much as possible. Absolutely. Um, all right. Before I hand this part over to Coach, I have to ask the first question, Mike, on behalf of so many IU fans in our community and on Twitter. Why are you so much lower on the Hoosiers and bracketology than other people are? We've got to know. I, one of the things I love is that I'm so much lower because they're down by one line. One line. And, and honestly, I haven't checked today to see where Lenardi has them. Um, it was four yesterday, I, I, I think. If you checked my bracket today, you know that I did move them up. You did. Uh, I do have them higher at this point. Uh, let's see. I have them as a five now. You may be shocked to know that that is the consensus position for the Hoosiers on the bracket matrix, which now contains 99 different online brackets. I, I have, I, I will say that I think the difference, I suspect, I've never talked to those guys about how they do their deals or anything. I don't really want to know. I don't, I don't, I, but in scouting them, so to speak, uh, I think they're a little bit more analytically oriented than I am. Especially for me, the analytics are important in that, if you play to the analytics, then you'll get to where the analytics say you should be. So I'll wait until you do that. And I, I look at a team that has, prior to Rutgers, three quad one wins and say, you know, six is pretty generous. I mean, there are three quad one. Like, I think Wisconsin has at least four, maybe five off the top of my head. They have four or five, and they're not in. Mm-hmm. So I think thought that I was being pretty generous to an extent. Yeah, they have five with with the uh, Hoosiers. But I, I mean, I, but I wasn't really being generous because I think they have performed exceptionally well and have shown the quality of team that they can be at their best or, and are now. Uh, they've shown the capacity to play without Xavier Johnson and, and to, the, to the degree that it almost, you know, you want Xavier Johnson to come back. Uh, but I think they're going to have to be careful about how they reintroduce him to the team because they have a formula now that is top 20 good at minimum. And so they have to be careful with that. But that's, you know, that's the reason 
why is that I'm I'm not going to say, OK, well, Ken Palm and and the net have them at 15 or whatever it is. So that's why they have to be higher there. What people people who yell at me on Twitter all the time will say, well, Ken Palm has them at this and the net has them at this. And they exclude the results metrics. They, they ne- I have never, ever one time in four years of doing this, not one time have I had come, someone come to me and say, you have our team as a four seed and strength of record has us as a two. Nobody says that. <laughs> like, but that's on the team sheet too. And I, and, and in a lot of ways, it's, I, I, for me, at this time of year, that's my most important metric. In, in because it, it, it's basically what you've accomplished and what you can accomplish is what the net and the, uh, and what the uh, Ken Palm and Sagarin say, what you, what, it, what you're capable of accomplishing, but you have to play to that in order to earn the victories that ultimately end you up on the higher seed lines. Mike, it's that time of season at Delphi Bracketology. We're getting it left and right too. Uh, been, been told to keep trying uh, you know, co- comments like that show up on Twitter. And, I, and it is, it's Brian, I got to tell you my favorite maybe ever. And like the, the, when I got reamed by Butler fans on my very first bracket ever, that was pretty good because I had them like as a three seed and everybody else had them as a one. Um, and that, that was my favorite ever. Cause like, it was literally like my first try. Uh, but uh, my favorite of the year was the person who yelled at me, because I put Vermont in the bracket as the representative of their conference. Um, and they are two games in the lead of their conference. But if I really were paying attention, I'm told, then I would have Bryant, so, which is like in third place. So, you know, that's my favorite so far this year. It, it always, they always come back at you with the selective criteria. Um, the, co- the conference standing is the one we get uh, all the time. You know, so and so is eight and five in conference, but they're you know eleven and ten overall or something. Exactly. Uh, so, so welcome to the Indiana side of of that. Uh, you know, North Carolina State, Florida, those are some that, some fan bases that have gotten after us pretty hard in the in the past. But uh, what is it about Indiana's resume that is outstanding? And then what is uh, somewhat concerning for us bracketologists as we compare them? That's the other thing people don't quite understand. You compare them to a group of four or five around them. Right. What's the strength and what's the weakness of Indiana's resume right now? Well, the strength is that they have the best win, the best home win that anybody has by far. Uh, the best home win. Rutgers has the best win because they went to Purdue and won. Uh, but Indiana has the best home win. That's the number one thing on their resume. But then they follow that up with two high-end road wins over the first-place team in the Big East Conference, Xavier, and a legit contender in the Big Ten, if anybody's a contender beyond Purdue, uh, in Illinois, both on the road. Uh, so those th- that's the strength of, of the bracket along with the fact that they're entirely queen, clean in quad one and quad excuse me in quad three and quad four nine and oh so no blemishes nothing you have to explain away uh there's not a single loss on this field on this bracket in terms of the opponent that you have uh, excuse me on the resume that in terms of opponent you have to explain the margin of the penn state game yeah okay that was bad um but everything else is explicable and, and most of the results you were you were uh, 
impaired by injury. Uh, most of the losses, you were impaired by injury to some degree. Iowa, uh, Rutgers, Kansas, Arizona, all obvious. And again, you're not getting a pass for that in selection, but you're not worried about selection. You're getting a pass for that in seeding to an extent if you perform, if you find a new formula or re, re uh, cycle the old formula if you're if you're able to do that and win big with the with the uh, the, the reconstituted lineup. Um, so IU right now as a as a relatively whole team, um, I think you have to look at this now. I mean when um, when Dave Revson talked to Xavier Johnson uh, on Tuesday when Rutgers was in town. Um, Xavier was talking about, um, you know, I want, I'll be, I'll be back before the end of the year. And so you, if that's the, if that's the notion, you got to look at it as, okay, these are your Hoosiers. And hopefully Xavier comes back as much at this point for his sake as for anybody else, as anything else. Uh, so these are your Hoosiers, but these, your Hoosiers are like seven and one with big time wins, uh, including Rutgers and, and Purdue at home. So, I think at that point you you look at that and you say, okay, that's a team that the committee can't afford to underseed because they've got a, t- a player in TJD who can dominate a game, and you know they they're not like like the committee's not rooting for their number one and number two seeds to make the final four, but they wouldn't have number one and number two seeds if the idea wasn't to make their paths as clear as possible toward the final four. So that's what they're trying to accomplish. Well, if you put IU as a seven seed, well, I mean, that's not very nice to Kansas or whoever is the two seed. Uh, wait a second. We got Now, it wouldn't be them probably because they played already, but it might. Um, so that's not right. So that's why you start to creep up the bracket when you look at who they are and you start to try to break out what have they done as this team. So Indiana's won uh, seven out of eight. Uh, TJD has played out of his mind. Hood Shafino has been a big part of that too. Who who is the next player to get that deserves a little more accolades for this turnaround? Because uh, I think there's a couple that we, you could go towards, but yes. those two have just shined and are a big part. But there have been some nice performances in these eight games by others. Who would you say is that next level person that's helped the Hoosiers? Well, you don't get to seven and eight by without just about everybody in your rotation making significant contributions along the way. But the one player that kind of stands out to me is Miller Cobb uh, for reasons that we've discussed, I think before that they haven't taken full advantage of his offensive abilities, but he has worked to find a way to matter, to matter enough to stay on the floor at a relatively low shot number. I mean, in that eight games, he's taken 27, three. So that's less than, you know, that's basically three a game. Um, with, a, with his percentages, he should be getting close to four or five, and, but he's not. And, and, and he doesn't take a lot of field goal attempts that aren't threes. So there aren't a lot of two-point shot, two shots that are on top of that 27. So even without taking a high number of, of field goal attempts, he's still on the floor thir- in, in that eight games – He's played 30 minutes in all but one. The only game he didn't play 30 was Purdue, where he played 29. So they think that he's adding something. And I think you're starting to see uh, that he's guarding his man better. He's getting involved in 
the, the you know, he's, he's diving on the floor for loose balls and, and creating deflections and, and getting extra possessions. Uh, he's become a much more complete basketball player than he ever was uh, in his first three years at Northwestern or last year at IU. He's become a much more complete player. And he's bringing a, a level of edge that right. I don't think any of us knew he had. I mean, we didn't think he believed in himself for three, three and a half, four years. And and that was one of the weaknesses of his game was that he didn't always trust himself. And now he trusts himself so much that he's going to battle for his teammates. And it doesn't have to be about throwing elbows or anything. That's not what, you know, that gets you in trouble. That gets your, that, that puts your team at a disadvantage because you get an F2 or an F1 or whatever. Um, he's out there and he's making sure that his area, wherever he is, he owns that spot. Uh, and that, I don't, that, I don't mean that spot isn't fluid, but wherever he is, like you're not messing with that. And I think that that has really changed. I use team personality as well. So we talked a while back about Indiana's identity was more defensive-minded than anything else, and they needed to return to that defensive mindset. And we've talked Ken Palm already. They haven't moved up to Ken Palm numbers. They're kind of stuck at 41. But Indiana's defense has improved greatly during this stretch. And then I look at the standings today, and it looks like the Big Ten – if you want to be on top of the Big Ten, you've got to play some outstanding defense. There's seven teams in the top 30. You add IU playing better. That's the eighth team in the Big Ten, which makes it so tough. But how would right. you rate uh, the overall defensive play of in the Big Ten and then some top teams defensively? And is that a key to winning the Big Ten? You know, I think that I, 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 league play is probably a little bit more important because def- you play more road games. It, it, well, I, I obviously, but you play road games in a league and in, 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 in a Big Ten tournament or NCAA tournament, you play no road games. You may play against a crowd in some instances, but you play no road games. And so defense tra- does travel. It does go wherever it, you go. Rutgers hasn't been bad defensively. I don't think in just about any game, I suppose if I went through, I might find one where their point per possession number was poor. But on the road at IU the other night, their defense was very good, uh, as it usually is. They did not give up a ton of points to IU, but they couldn't score enough to support a reasonable road defensive performance. Now, that, part of that is they're a limited offensive team, and part of that is IU is a very significant defensive team. IU's defensive numbers are weighed down by that one awful stretch uh, in particular when race got hurt and they didn't know how to put the D back together for a while. Um, it took them until the Wisconsin home game on that Saturday afternoon f- f- before they could put together a defensive effort that was respectable without race. And then race comes back and then the defense makes sense again. So yeah, I, I think that that, I think that that number is deceptive uh, to re- regarding what they've been defensively over the last two months. And and even if you go back to when they were whole uh, at the start of the year, I mean, I think they were doing a reasonable defensive job then, Um, you know, at least, at least in terms of, you know, trying to hold teams down and be effective. I mean, they gave Xavier 79 points in that game, but Xavier's one of the best offensive teams in the country. They have an option at every position when they're healthy. So 
I, I think that that's the difference there. And then there was also uh, the two games, um, the Arizona game and the, and the Kansas game, uh, that they weren't they were not whole. They didn't have Jalen, and they really struggled to find any defensive formula without him. Hey, Mike, you mentioned Race Thompson, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on how Mike Woodson has handled the reintegration of Race Thompson. Obviously, a guy who's not himself physically struggling on the offensive end, but against Minnesota and Purdue, made huge plays down the stretch to you know to win the game. How do you feel about how that's gone so far? Well, I, I as I said, I think that first of all, Race makes your defense make sense uh, because without him in this league. It, it, it puts so much pressure on Trace. He's got enough already, and he does often go head-to-head against the best big guys in this league. Probably the majority of the possessions, he's the one guarding the post. Uh, but it, it, it's a, that's an awful big burden. And in some leagues, it wouldn't be. Um, I, I, I'm sure that I could find leagues where that would not be a huge deal. I mean, I think in the ACC, you certainly have Armando Baycott. But there's not an excessive number of great big guys. But I mean, this is this is by by the time we get through, uh, I think it's Sunday after. Is it tomorrow that IU plays? I, I'm Michigan. Gotten, yeah, tomorrow. Okay, so by the end of the tomorrow, okay, the last eight days for him will be Zach Eady, uh, Cliff Amore, and Hunter Dickinson, uh, hmm. and and you know significant responsibility in all three of those matchups. In addition to them guarding you, which is a physical load as well. Uh, so I think race gives you that, uh, that ability to be big and not totally reliant on race in that circumstance, excuse me, on, on TJD in that circumstance. And I think that, you know, he, he is, he is a effective defensive rebounder. That's something that certain teams out there like Xavier right now, I mentioned before, Xavier has to close out possessions now. They're not a great defensive team to begin with, but they have given themselves over to being able to get the big stop. You, they, you know, outscore you and get the big stop, kind of like a run-and-shoot football team. Uh, you got to get the big stop, or the fact that you can score all these buckets isn't going to matter. And against Providence, they were out. They were scoring great against Providence's D, but then without uh, Zach Fremantle, who's hurt right now, they'd get a first shot stop against Providence and then wouldn't be able to secure the defensive rebound. Well, that race helps you with that. So his return, uh, when you can get that, that, that rough shot, that tough two, and you can get that miss, he helps you get the rebound, whether it's coming into his hands or him gumming up an opposing player with a good box out and TJD chases the ball down. Uh, all of that helps. And would it, it would be nice if he could return to being the offensive player he was before he was hurt all of last year, because we know he can stretch a defense. Uh, he can score in the post. He's not the most fluid post scorer, but he's really physically powerful and sudden. And so he can bother teams. He's not, he doesn't have quite the same physicality with the basketball as he did before he was injured. So you've talked about a couple guys that us Hoosier fans really appreciate the way they play, Miller Cop uh, and, and Race Thompson, and you could classify them as glue guys. Uh, so those are our glue guys, but there's a lot of good players in the Big Ten that Indiana competes against on, on uh, a given night, and we know the Dickinsons and we know uh, the Stars, but who would be some of your top glue guys in the Big Ten that we as Indiana fans uh, need to uh, – 
take a, a look at or appreciate a little bit? This is going to shock you, but one of them plays for Purdue. Uh, <laughs> like, I, it's it's like there should be like you know how everybody has a PF TJ, you know Trace Jackson Davis, and a PG for Jalen Huchifino. They should just have a GG, like because they always got a glue guy at Purdue, and in this case, it's Ethan Morton, uh, who is an amazing glue player because of his ability to lock up on defense. And, you know, I, I was talking about, I was on big 10 live earlier today. I'm on every Friday with Dave Revson and uh, usually uh, it's been Andy Katz and today it was Trent Meacham. Uh, we've had uh, different uh, other analysts there uh, in addition to me. And uh, it, it, we talked about, uh, I talked about this one particular possession last night that, that just fascinated me in the first half of the Iowa game. When uh, I, I watched Ethan race back on defense to cut off the 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 uh, the basketball on a, a potential fast break, and you know Iowa likes to run, so he's in the middle of the lane and he stops the point guard with the basketball. Which, because he does that, it it leaves Braden Smith in a matchup against Chris Murray. So he knows right away that he's got to fix this. So he waits until there's a certain action uh, that gives him just a little window. And then he gets Braden off of Chris and exchanged onto the point guard. And then he gets back on Chris and then he cheats down to the post to try to, you know, because there's a potential drive down to the lane. And then he closes out on Murray to force a, a tough uh, shot on a, a three pointer that misses. And like all of this happens and nobody's going to notice it unless you're, Unless you're attuned to that, it, I was, I don't know, I was watching the game and and I'm like, wait a second, what did he do there? So I, I went back and I followed him all the way from where he was on the offense and how he took off so, as soon as the ball went up so that he could make sure he was back and all the rest of those machinations that I just described. And I don't know why it caught my eye, but right there in that in that moment, you could see why he plays why a guy who's basically averaging four points a game, uh, you know, gets, gets a starting spot on the number one team in the country. Uh, he did also make a three last night, which was nice for him and nice for them. Cause it makes you honor him. You can't play four on five, five on four. Uh, and, and, but that's the, to me, the classic glue person, uh, Caleb McConnell for Rutgers, a do everything player. Be nice. If those shots dropped a little bit more, Obviously, it didn't hurt your guys the other night that they didn't. Uh, but when when they do, he's he's a terrific. I mean, he's obviously a, he's a terrific all around player. But he does everything they need, especially at the defensive end, the reigning uh, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I like Dante Scott a lot at Maryland. That's a guy who a lot of programs, man. He's been there. I think this is his fifth year now. I'm not sure. It's at least his fourth. Yeah. Um, but a lot of programs, Dante Scott's checking out at some point and transferring. Uh, coaching change, interim coach, uh, you know, never gets the, you know, never has become a first option. Jameer Young comes in and he's a 20-point scorer. Wait a second, I've been here all this. No, uh uh He just plays hard. He goes and gets the ball. When he's open, he'll take a shot, but he doesn't, he never chases one. He never, he never uh, forces action. He never hunts one. I love that about him. He's been there doing that since his first day in the uniform. And, and I, I, I wrote down Trey because even though um, 
even though we, we, we talk about the other two as glue guys, I think Trey, because he contributes in so many different areas, he stitches everything together. The transition game, transition D, the, you know, the, 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 he gives you a secondary point guard to an extent because his passive passing ability for a wing is elite. Uh, he get any, any guards his guy. So I put him down and then he, I have to have a point guard. So of all the point guards in the league, the one that I would go with would be AJ Hogard mm. uh, because he's so physical. He's, you know, he, he, he can get the ball downhill. He's hard to, he's hard to drive the ball on because he's so strong. And, you know, I mean, he's good enough on the ball that they give it to him more often. They give it to Tyson Walker, who's a more dynamic scorer, uh, can get deep a little bit better. He, he, you know, AJ's a straight, straight line driver. Tyson can go a little bit sideways and get 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 moving, uh, but because he's so physical, they like to have the ball in AJ's hands, and he's he's finding guys to the rate of nearly six assists a game. So that's my glue guy point guard. The, those are guys that make coaches look good. You know, they're not they're not in a box score, but they make winning plays, and then the coach gets to go in and talk about you know how good their team is. But you know, you have all five of those. Uh, yeah, good list. Uh, we're gonna boo Ethan Morton just because he's at Purdue, but uh, we do believe that that he has some skill as a young man. Um, but no, that, that's a great list. And Mike, before we let you get out of here and enjoy your weekend, is the Big Ten solidifying in in some? I know there's a big mess in the middle, but it still seems like there's maybe two or three teams that are playing really well, and then that middle, and then some teams that have fallen to the bottom. Kind of, uh, you know, maybe your top teams, and, and do you think that teams are starting to find their spot here in the Big Ten as far as rankings? Well, I think that standing? obviously Purdue has. I mean, there's no question about that. And it it I think the league title is theirs to lose, uh, and they probably have to, like, completely – kick it to to not win it uh so that so there's that um but beyond that you know indiana has found its way without a doubt but the league's like okay prove it that's the way it works in the big 10 now you got to go to illinois tomorrow and then you got to go a couple of games away to wisconsin uh and then you got to play michigan with hunter all over again and you got to go to penn state so it's not easy in this, in, in the big 10 to, to hold on to that. I think they will, uh, because I think they have found something. I think that I, I think Jalen's emergence, and I, I'm not sure that he, we wouldn't have seen this early. I don't just mean earlier, but I mean early, if you didn't have an incumbent point guard and if they hadn't spent the entire preseason planning to play two point guards, the ball, when you play two point guards, that means that Whoever gets it can go, but most of the time you're looking for one guy because that happens. He happens to be more suited to just playing point guard, and the other guy can do a little bit more. And that's kind of the way it works out here. Uh, X was a point guard. That's who he is. And if you take the ball out of his hands, he's a lesser player. Plus, it's hard to mismatch uh, guys. You don't. You know, if, if you if you had a guy who was a great on-ball defender, but a meager ball handler and passer, you might do that. But it, it's always a little bit of effort to do that. It's it, The flow is better when your point guard defends the other team's point guard. So that's why that's another reason why Xavier was the obvious choice to be the ball dominant guy. So then you lose Xavier for a couple of games. 
Um, and then all of a sudden you lose them for, for a significant amount of time. And that's very disruptive. So it took Jalen a while to fully regain his comfort, not necessarily confidence, but just his comfort at being the guy who had the ball all the time. Uh, it's a different deal. And, and he has to still measure to an extent. He still has to measure when's it me, when's it them. Um, you know, a lot of point guards like Sule Boom at Xavier. I keep using Xavier as a example. They're playing Butler tonight. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. I don't know. They're in town. But Sule Boom is a guy who will run the show, run the offense, and if it comes back to him, he's like the best get-back guy of anybody. Like, if if it recycles to him, you better be in the play because it's going up and it's probably going in. He's the best in the country at that. So for Jalen, it's a little different. He's not really a guy who's like waiting for it to come back to him. If he sees an if he sees an opening early in the offense and the ball is in his hands, he's going to take it, and that's okay because it's one of the things that makes him great. That's you want him to do the things that make him great, as long as they are intelligent things. And when he drives the ball to six feet and drives the def- or eight feet and drives the defender back two feet and he's wide open, that's a good shot because the defense is off balance because they're not expecting a shot yet. Um, and he's going to make most of those. Not, you know, he's not going to make 100%, but he's going to make a significant majority of those shots. That's his play. So as he had to get back to understanding that when it was okay to do that. So the, the, it, it's been an evolution for him. He's basically been two different players this year. And now for the last eight games, he's been this player. And you've seen over that course of time an escalation in his uh, in his efficacy that is, you know, turning Indiana from a pretty good team that's going to make the tournament to a team that people are legitimately talking about as a threat to make a deep run. So I, I think that he is, in in that sense, a very important component of the of everything that has gone right, and that's to me why. You know, when we talk about uh, having, you know, them having a chance to to do well, that it, you know, it, it's it's that evolution that's had to happen because of necessity. Uh, and, and you know, I don't even remember what the question was, but I did need to make the point about why <laughs> IU has arrived at this point in the season with this much promise. You you answered it perfectly. It's Purdue and then I use the second best team and they're gonna kick everyone's butt going out. They're gonna have to prove it, but you just said we're evolving and so yes, you answered the question. But I, I, I think, you know, Indiana Rutgers, Purdue are those top teams and you have Illinois and Iowa that also can make a, a run. Would you agree? Yeah, that R- that's Rutgers, kind of the pecking order. Rutgers, yeah, Rutgers Rutgers defense is good enough to keep them in every game. The offense has it the offense has disappointed me a little bit in terms of its progress. I think they. I think there are players there to be better than they are. I think Paul Mulcahy. Uh, I don't know why. You know, the guy can get six, seven assists a game, and he does on occasion. I don't know why that doesn't give them more definition to their offense. I, I, I think that they could get more quality shots than they do, and that's what's holding them back from being really dynamic in this league. And it's got to change for them to survive their next stretch and for them to excel in Chicago and then to do well in the NCAAs, they have to find more offense. You're not going to 61-60 your way to to two victories in the NCAA tournament unless you get the best matchups ever. 
And so that's a problem for them. Uh, Illinois is the team that, to me, is the wild card. Uh, they have, when Matthew Meyer is on, one, he's essentially unguardable by anybody in the Big Ten and probably by anybody in the country. You got a six nine guy who can drive it and hit from twenty four feet, and he's and look Baylor Shireman for Creighton is a guy who can shoot from forty, and he's really skilled, and, and he can get to open areas because he's so skilled. Like his skill is elite, elite, but he's not super dynamic, so he's not going all the way to the rim very often, um, unless he gets the perfect lane, the kind of lanes that. Frankly, the Hoosiers were giving up uh, for that one little stretch. Uh, it, it, unless he gets that, uh, he's not going. But Matthew can do that. Matthew can get you off balance. I mean, he's not uh, hes not Michael Jordan, but he can get by you and take it all the way to the rim. So that's the team that I'm – of all the teams in this league, I think that they are really dangerous but really hard to figure out what you're going to get. If, if they get everything together, they're really dangerous. Because they've got a big guy now, they've got a point guard who's playing fluidly. They've got two wings who are, you know, high-end college players, and and both of them have a chance to play in the league. And Meyer, honestly, to me, is a guy who, if you know, if if good Matthew Meyer were were the only Matthew Meyer, he to me he's a borderline first-round pick. So that's the team that I just can't put a pin on. And I think for them, you know, to an extent. Starting tomorrow, they're going to tell us who they are. Yep, I think they're pretty well coached, which is a inside joke with some of our fans uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> here here on the assembly call. But Mike, thank you for joining us on this uh, Banner Friday. Always good. It's been a great uh, run since we started uh, winning a little bit. Uh, it's made for some more enjoyable conversations. But we appreciate uh, what you do uh, for us and what you do with the Big Ten Network and the Sporting News. And we will uh, see you uh, next week on the Banner Friday. My pleasure, guys. Great to be with both of you. Thanks, Mike. Have a good weekend. All right. And so Mike DeCourcy leaves us. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, that now making his first appearance on the assembly call, he's one of the best sports writers on the planet. Like, seriously, the kind of writer that you drop everything to read because he's that good. He covers college hoops and golf for The Athletic. He co-hosts the Moving Screen podcast with Dylan Burkhart of UM Hoops, which is my favorite Big Ten basketball podcast and one that we talk a lot about on here. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Brendan Quinn. How you doing, Brendan? Oh, I'm, after that greeting, I'm, I'm wonderful. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I, I don't know why you would have me before over Dylan on a Michigan week, but, you know, I mean, I just kind of make everything up. Dylan actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dylan and Alex, they always do their thing and, you know, everything mm-hmm. is like a joint episode. Fair. So, you know, we let we, we let Dylan and Alex movie. nerd out over on their show and, you know, we'll have got, we'll have the more fun conversation here. Got co-opted <laughs> a long time ago. That's fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, hey, man, you know, we missed you while you were gone, um, but it's great that yeah. you're back ready for Thanks. the stretch run. I thought it was hilarious that, you know, when you left had to take some time off. The last game Indiana played was the Penn State game. And then you come back, and the first Indiana game that you watched was Maryland. And so you're like, what's all the fuss about? This is the same Indiana team that I've been watching. Um, You've had a chance now to kind of watch the Purdue game, watch the Rutgers game. What are your, you know, before we jump in and talk a little bit about Michigan, just give us your impression of the Hoosiers right now. 
Yeah, I mean, you were you were spot on with that description. When I got back, I was just terribly confused watching the the Maryland game, and there was like you know all this building noise around like Hood Chipino, like man, you know this might be a a freshman of the year, yeah, uh, a late push. And I watch this game, I'm like, I mean, this looks awful. What are we talking about here? Um, but yeah, I mean, the last two games watched watched them all the way through, and was just really impressed by what looks like a older team that's really kind of found itself in the second half of um certain guys senior years and you've seen this this is like the beauty of college basketball right is when you see teams that um kind of take the long road to go to or to get where they're going and and then suddenly that you can see the pieces fall into place in real time and i I think indiana is a great story right now in college basketball both of you have this incredible character in Trace Jackson Davis, then you have this incredible kind of character in what Indiana basketball is and what it represents to the sport and its kind of dormant um, beast that uh, I, me as like an outsider, not a Midwest guy, not someone who grew up watching Big Ten basketball, like I wanted to see Indiana basketball, like the real thing. And because I got here right after um the 2013 season yeah. and so like those like kind of iconic michigan indiana games I, I i was there for i saw some good ones but you know i missed the really good stuff and uh and now i feel like i'm kind of getting a glimpse of it um would love to get down there before the end of the, the year that's for damn sure yeah we've basically had like two good months of basketball since the end of the 2013 season mm-hmm. and that was the 2016 <laughs> big 10 season and outside of that it hasn't been it hasn't been really good. You know I'm I'm curious I was going to ask this question later but you know with what you just said I'll ask it now. You know you I mean you write some of the best feature articles that I've written. I mean you're just you're really good at it. Um I have emailed the people over at IU and said we need to get Brendan in here so he can write an article about IU. Like I'm curious if you got embedded, you know, with this Indiana team and you hinted at it there a little bit like what would be the storylines what would be your hypothesis for where the most interesting stories are to tell on this team yeah this i mean program? me personally would be spending you know a day or two completely locked in with trace jackson davis my dog's causing trouble here sorry um <laughs> so would be spending a day or two with with trace jackson davis and you know i know his story has been told and things like that but what what happens sometimes uh, with seniors, at especially at a, a place as high profile as IU, is like, man, they build up a shell, right? And it is like Trace is so polished and and so kind of aware. I think of, of every word he says and how he comes off and what he means, both in terms of you know his own value as a as an individual athlete and also to the IU brand and things like that, um, that I wonder, you know, spending real time with them, having some real conversations that can kind of, you know, crack the egg a little bit and get into like, what's really kind of crawling around in that mind of his at this point. Uh, I know Trace is the cheap answer because he's a first team all American candidate, but like, I find him fascinating and, um, the road that he's taken, um, certainly uniquely his own. Um, and, you know, I, I think he it's really like the good stuff about college basketball, the guy who sticks it out, the guy who um, you know, has every reason to leave or every reason to bail or every reason to complain or every, you know, sticking it out through multiple coaches. Um, I think this is why we as people and fans like 
college hoops as opposed to other alternatives. Um, you know, yeah. he's a guy who is going to have a place in lore um, at Indiana for a long time, and that's that's saying something. So I, I would just love to know him more on a personal basis and and find out. I don't know what's there. Yeah, that's great, boy. That is that is a story I would love to read. So. Okay, make it happen. Maybe I'm working on it (laughs) as much as I can, man. I'm working on it. Um, All right, so let's turn our attention to Michigan a little bit. I linked in our community to the conversation between Alex and Dylan. If you want to really nerd out about the matchups and all that stuff, go there because they really get into it. But give us kind of the broad strokes about this Michigan team. Like we know about Hunter Dickinson. Who are some of the other guys now that are playing kind of the starring roles? And just generally, what's going right for them when they're playing well and what's going wrong when they're not? Yeah, I, I've been fascinated kind of watching the um, the growth, the development of, of their young guards. And, you know, I mean, they're basically playing a six-man rotation. But uh, they're, they're, they're three kind of key young pieces. Point guard Doug McDaniel, who obviously replaced Jalen Llewellyn, blew out his leg earlier this year. Um, you know, Doug was a guy who in the preseason we were talking about playing eight, ten minutes a game, backup freshman, kind of that that uh Frankie Collins role from a year ago, kind of behind the the upperclassman senior transfer. Um and obviously that didn't happen. And now Doug has just been thrown into the deep end and kind of figuring out as he goes along, he's a dynamic player to watch, you know, you know a tiny guy who just f- can fly all over the place and you know, does a lot of things that <laughs> say, I'm guessing the staff didn't want that. And then he makes a couple <laughs> plays where you're like, man, you can't teach that stuff. So um, he brings a ton to the table. Um, Jed Howard is a projected first round NBA pick because he's a, a dynamic shooter, a dynamic scorer. Um, he's got the name. He's got the game. Uh, he's got size. He's, you know, 6'8". He's built like a man. Um, and... I think he's especially interesting to watch in this game. You know, obviously Dickinson, Dickinson, right? But but Howard getting a a team like IU the attention that is going to be had on this game. Um, he's in this you know closing stretch of which is probably his only college season while playing for his son or for his father. Um, you know, this would be like the oh man jet howard's go scores 26 and it's a huge story you know like does he kind of step up and deliver in that time when he's obviously going to be the focal point of the defense kobe buffkin though is the for me the guy who's kind of the the real you know glue piece whatever you want to call it he's um one of developing into whatever you want to say you know one of the best two-way players in the big ten um Defense is good and getting better, bordering on great. Um, Offense is kind of following a similar trajectory. And he's like a sophomore who has kind of figured out a lot of things about how he's the one who kind of sets, I wrote it earlier this week, like that that he has understood that if he comes out flat on the defensive end, there's a residual effect and the team comes out flat on the defensive end. So like mm-hmm. he's kind of the, the pacemaker for, I think, this team. And um, yeah, I, they were basically counted out. Um, probably after a loss to Penn State, what are we looking at there? Like two weeks ago, I want to say at this point, January 29th. So um, about a week and a half ago, that they lost that game to fall to 11 and 10 overall, five and five in the league, and it was basically 
you know, okay, they're because of what they did in the non-conference, notably losing to Central Michigan, um, kind of out for the NCAA tournament. And lo and behold, signs of life. Is this this is the age-old Big Ten question? Are is it, you know, who you get to play and when you get to play them and where you get to play them? Or is it actually like wins on paper mean exactly what they mean? Um, it's so hard to tell, but three straight wins uh, at Northwestern, home against Ohio State, and home against Nebraska. You know, it's not – obviously a win at Northwestern is impressive, but Ohio State is a disaster, and, you know, Nebraska isn't good. But, um, you know, to their credit, they – we're supposed to blow out Nebraska and they did. So they're like doing the things they're supposed to do. Um, the next one is, can you beat somebody that is fairly legitimate? I mean, their best wins on their schedule right now are home wins over Maryland and Penn state. And you know, the road win at Northwestern, that's, that's about it. So uh, at some point you'd like to see them actually beat someone that matters. And in terms of their NCAA tournament resume, like every game is borderline desperation game at this point. They they probably have to get to twelve in the league. It's kind of the conventional thinking right now. They're currently at eight and five, which makes this obviously a very very important game for them. Has this been a team that has responded in these types of situations under Juwan Howard? I mean, obviously they struggled early last season and kind of turned it around. Would you expect a really good performance from them in this game, just given the stakes? Oh, I have no idea. No, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I mean, like those early teams, they certainly responded. That was, you know, a lot of carryover type players, um, older guys who had been there and done that. When you look at this roster, okay, who are the guys that have been there and done that? It's Slim Pickens, man. It's Dickinson, who's a junior, and Terrence Williams. Yeah, that's it, really. So, um, you know, a, a lot, a big part of this is can Dickinson go and be the better first team All American? over you know over trace jackson does he outplay trace because if he doesn't outplay trace i don't see how michigan wins unless something crazy happened they make 13 threes you know which would yeah. kind of also go against um some degrees of, of convention they're a good three-point shooting team but um not, they ain't that good so you know the uh the beyond that you know beyond dickinson i'm saying it's it's jet howard you know, scoring, it's can Joey Baker come off the bench, give them three threes, you know, outlier performances like that. But do they respond to this moment? I, I that this is kind of the game that I think answers those types of questions. You know, there were there were key times earlier this year where they were expected to deliver, you know, a good response and and plainly didn't. Um you know, lost a close game to North Carolina in a on a down in um that wasn't it wasn't in chapel hill it was in like raleigh or something like that um mm-hmm. and it came back out and lose to central michigan at home after christmas break like it's just you can't you can't do that so um we'll see you know there's internally they're saying that there's been you know it is player only meeting season uh, for, yes. for struggling <laughs> programs and they've they've had their share apparently from what i've been told um do those things resonate? I'm as curious as anyone. You know, Dickinson is an interesting character. And 
<laughs> for most of the time that he and Trace, you know, have been in school together, he's kind of had the upper hand. You know, he'd won a lot of the head-to-head matchups until the Big Ten tournament last year. You know, Alex and Dylan do their preseason Big Ten top 25 players. He's number one ahead of Trace. And now, as we kind of, you know, round into the back half of this season, everybody would say that Trace is the better player right now. Part of that is obviously Trace just reaching the stratospheric level. But it also seems like Dickinson's progress has stagnated a little bit. Is that a fair assessment? And to what do you attribute that, if it is? Yeah, and I think there's probably a few things going on there. Michigan's guard play has not been great, and it's super inexperienced. He, you know, Dickinson went from playing with these um, point guards who really just followed an upward trajectory all year long and were guys playing their 100 and 130th and career college basketball games to playing with Doug McDaniel. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there in terms of just expecting someone to step in and get into like he doesn't have anything remotely close to kind of a a one five you know matchup with him that that has like developed that great chemistry that that you saw him have um, you know, with Devontae Jones um, last year and and with uh, Mike Smith hit during his freshman year where they were just it really developed a great chemistry, especially in those ball screens it just hasn't really happened. Like Dickinson's best touches are now kind of like just straight post touches and, and, and things like that. And now he can do a lot of it. He can make cross court passes. He can obviously go and finish. He can play through a double team, but a lot's been asked from him and not with not that much around it. So I, I think it's that really, you know, and there's obviously levels and layers, but, um, I think that's like a fair thing. And yeah, you'd want him to just be like the man up and I'm just going to go play, just still dominate everyone. But like, it's like, he's not a video game character, you know, things, there are things that matter around you. Yeah. How would you assess the Juwan Howard experiment slash tenure huh. so far? That's a, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because there's been, uh, you know, there are takes. There are certainly a lot of takes around um, what Juwan has, has done at Michigan. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's made it to the second weekend twice. And uh, a program like IU would love to say that. You know, a, a lot of programs <laughs> would love to yeah. say that. Um, now, Illinois in recent years, they didn't go to the second weekend, you know. But Michigan found a way, and that – that 21 team was really good. Um, probably could have beaten UCLA to get to a final four, but they just ran into this just, you know, I mean, it was like being locked in a closet, like with a animal that, that UCLA team down the stretch in that year, getting the final four was just brutal to play. Michigan ran into them and, and lost, but that was a good team. I, if Isaiah livers isn't hurt in that game, they might mm-hmm. have gone to the final four, you know, and um, how much does that change? His tenure, I don't know, but he's. They were going to go to the NCAA tournament in his first year. Um, that group dropped off significantly. If you guys remember, they were like a top five team at midseason, and then kind of came undone. Um, Elite eight in his second year, fourteen to three in the league in the COVID year um, in twenty twenty two. Last year, you know, barely snuck in. Obviously, almost. Um, almost really kind of cratered with the loss to, to IU in the Big Ten tournament, but 11-9 in the league, go to the Sweet 16, lose to Villanova, no harm there. Um, 
you're always going to get the people that say, you know, oh, it's his own player now. You know, he did it with Beeline's players and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I get that there is a degree there that, that you can you can say is fair. But, you know, he coached the teams. They did what they did, I think. Um, one of the things that I find is most interesting is like when you look at the recruiting, I think there was always going to be this kind of expectation that it was going to be, you know, big time, you know, these loaded, loaded classes and this just kind of wild influx of talent that I don't really think you're seeing. Now they had two NBA picks last year, right? Like obviously Cale Houston, Moussa Diabate, um, but you look at this roster this year and it's like, there's a lot of good players. There's a lot of top 100 players. There's some top 50 players and things like that. I just, I, I feel like, I hope I'm explaining as well. Like I feel like Michigan fans just thought there was going to be just like pros showing up, lined up to come play for, uh, for Juwan Howard. And, you know, yeah, this year there is one and it's his son. Okay. And, but more pointedly to me in terms of like what wins games, like, three straight grad transfer point guards. Um, is that really a winning recipe in this league? I, I don't, I don't know. Now, you know, maybe having some continuity here with Doug McDaniel, we'll see. But um, overall, I think the experiment's been fine. I mean, considering the questions that were around Juwan and some of them were uh, thinly veiled in a lot of ways, I thought. Um, but this whole notion of like, well, he can coach because he's an NBA guy. And I'm like, <laughs> What are you talking about? You just like spent the last decade like in the Heat organization with like Spolstra and, and Bat Riley and and is one of the most respected dudes in the NBA. I'm pretty sure he can draw up an ATO. Thanks, you know, like he could probably outcoach you know Pat Chambers at Penn State or whatever. Like this is not this is not some some rube off the street. Like what are, what are you talking about? So I I think it's been generally successful. Obviously, last year's incident at Wisconsin will always kind of hang over him. Um, but, you know, for the most part publicly, you know, he's hasn't done anything really of note, like good or bad. Like he's kind of just totally out of sight, out of mind. Like he doesn't do interviews, take my word for it of anyone. (laughs) Um, he's not really interested in engaging in a lot of ways like that. Um, you know, his press conferences are arguably the most boring in this conference. Um, so like that's it you know you can you want to question his coaching like sure everything can be questioned but um i I think for the most part it's fine he's not in any danger by any means um the bigger question to me is you know if if jet leaves this year which i think he will he's a first round pick and the sacramento kings call this time what is the level of response you know because that the Knicks have called previously, um, the Lakers have called previously, and there was always the possibility, right? Like, but he he knew Jet how his son Jet was coming through. His other son Jace is already on the team. Like, okay, if those if those guys are out, what is his level of interest? So we'll see. 
Brandon, I'm, I'm always interested in, in the coaching aspect. Phil Martelli, uh, when I thought he hired Phil Martelli, I thought that was a great hire to bring someone in. Saudi Washington, Howard Isley. Um, but are there any, any interesting Phil Martelli? I always have loved uh, talking to him, listening to him at, at uh, coaching conferences and everything. And I think that was a, a great hire. And you say that Howard's doing a good job, but it just seems like that's a good staff. Yeah, I mean it's it's they've been intact since day one. You know, um, John Calipari was the one who recommended uh, Juwan hire Phil initially when um, he was talking about taking the Michigan job. Um, like before anything was formalized, he talked to Cal. Cal said you're going to need like an OG conciliary type guy, and there's this dude in Philly named Phil Martelli. You should hire him. He just got let go at St. Joe's, and. Um, that's how that went down. So, you know, he knew he had that. He, he retained Saudi Washington from John Beeline's staff, and he brought in uh, Howard Isley, who, who fellow longtime NBA player and coach, guy to work with the guards, um, guy from Michigan. You know, he played at BC, but he's from southeastern Michigan, uh, from Detroit. They've known each other since high school. So I think he kind of – he also wanted someone who was, right, a guy who – when you got to say something privately, you got someone in the office who you go back to when you were both 17 years old and like they got like in a fight back in an AAU game in 1989, 1990 or so. I wrote about it, I don't know, two or three years ago. I don't remember any details, but it's out there somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting um, mix of old and new. I think at this point, it's probably getting a little stale. I think. I think staff turnover is a healthy thing in college basketball. Um, this would be the fourth year for this staff intact. Um, next year would be the fifth. Saudi Washington has had head coaching interest, and I believe he's turned down some jobs from the directional Michigan schools or you know, not expressed uh, mutual interest. Howard Isley is a guy that got passed over by his alma mater when – um, when Boston College hired what's his name Earl Grant or something like that, right? The guy from College of Charleston. Um, yeah, BC turning down or declining to go after Howard Isley and Mark Schmidt was an interesting move. But um, like I wouldn't be surprised if if Howard Isley had some some interest to go do something somewhere. Phil, who knows? Older guy, obviously, but you know, Juwan's apparently in talks with Penn State to play. Um. Uh, at the palestra next year <laughs> as a kind of tip of the cap to Phil. So it, if, if Michigan's supposed to go play at the palestra next year, I don't know. Phil might, might, might go for one more go round or <laughs> two more, who knows, but uh, that would be quite an experience. But to your, your question, um, you know, Saudi works with the defense. Uh, Howard Isley works with the offense and Phil kind of does Phil, you know? So um but but Ju Juwan is calling plays like there was a big thing uh, early on here, especially when Michigan was successful, like that Phil Martelli was some shadow head coach. And like, I can tell you with absolute certainty that it was total nonsense. Like, <laughs> like it, they were running a, an NBA offense designed by Juwan and Howard Isley that I've watched a lot of St. Joe's basketball in my life. OK, a lot. Uh, class of, it was supposed to be 05. I graduated like 06 and a half. 
Uh, so I've watched a lot of St. Joe's basketball, still do. I can tell you, they never ran anything like Michigan <laughs> was running uh, in those first couple of years. So, um, yeah, that, that, was, that was never, never, ever the case. Um, but I, I do think at this point, um, uh, assuming, you know, Juwan doesn't get an NBA offer or, or whatever, and he's back for a fifth year and, and they're kind of, they'd be um, starting over in some ways, but also potentially bringing a lot back, i.e., Hunter Dickinson, i.e., where else does he go? He probably has more money on the table with NIL than he does in a two-way deal or whatever else he would get. Um, I think they get a fourth year out of him. So, you know, you're not completely rebuilding, but you're, you'd be replacing um, uh, Jet Howard and, and bringing in some, some more younger players. Uh, all that said, I do think it would be good to get probably some fresh blood in the building at some point. By any by any means. Well, Brandon, I want to be respectful of your time, man. Really appreciate you coming and joining us. I just have one more question for you. Um, yeah, and it's about officiating. <clears throat> you know, I thought one of the most interesting podcast episodes I've listened to all year about college basketball was the interview that you and Dylan did with Rick Boyages, uh, which I thought really just provided some insight kind of like real talk about officiating and how it yeah. worked. That was really interesting. And so I'm just curious. In light of having that conversation, what did that change about the way that you view officiating? And, you know, what are your thoughts just on how officiating has been this year? Because there's obviously been a lot of hot button issues that have you know, come yeah. out among pretty much all Big Ten fan bases. Yeah, I think uh, we'd probably like to see more direction, I think, at the top. Um, of course, everyone always wants officials on the court to be better, but like, you just keep asking and asking, but like human nature is human nature and guys are going to make mistakes and, and there's going to be issues every year. It's obviously, um, I think really boiled over to the point of like, there is no longer any, um, acceptance of human error. And so I do think like there's a degree of this that like, there should be some, reason amongst fans and things like that to be like a player is going to miss a free throw in the final 30 seconds of a game. And a guy is going to miss a foul call. That's just the way it is. You're a basketball fan, be an adult, right? Mm -hmm. um, at, at the same time, yeah. Like, could there be better management of workload of how replay is used uh, of all of these things? Yes. And the fact that it, that the, that so much of this is decentralized still just drives me crazy. And I don't know what the fix is there. Um, but the 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 system it like how NCAA refereeing is managed reminds me of like the entire actual construct of the NCAA itself, where it's like if the three of us were sitting around today and said, Hey, there's all these colleges in the country. Let's start collegiate athletics. How would we design it? Right? We wouldn't do anything in terms of how it's actually laid out now. Instead, it's just been like jerry rigged and and fixed and here and and and, and moved there and, and blah blah blah. As opposed to ever like, okay, well this is dumb. Let's just rip this up and start over. Like, what's a what's a reasonable way of doing this? That's never happened with how we deal with officiating and how the they're they're contracted and how they're, they handle work and travel and all these things. Nobody would ever do it this way if you were starting over. So like, maybe you should start over. Yeah. 
You're a basketball fan, be an adult. <clears throat> I'm going to start using that line a lot, a lot more. <laughs> something, something a lot of people need to hear. Well, hey, I'm, I'm clipping out. I'm going to clip out the piece that you talked about with Trace Jackson Davis. I'm going to send it to the people I know at Indiana. It is my goal right. to get you in there and do a story because I want to read that. Um, but read his work at the athletic the season. Plenty of times. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. I could, time. Be, I could, I could be down there Monday. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I hope it happens. You should be subscribing to The Athletic because you get Brendan's work. Listen to the Moving Screen Pod. He and Dylan do a great job. Brendan, a real pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time today. No, it was my pleasure. I, I, I love following you guys. I do listen to some of the post-game pods here and there when I'm when I'm have an early morning really? walk with the dog. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's right. Uh, I fire it up because it's, it's loaded up early, right? Because you guys record it. So it's available if I'm walking the dog at like 6 a.m. Yeah. New pod. Perfect. That's great. Dive in. Yeah. One so of these days, we need to get we need to get you and Ryan debating whether an NBA coach can coach in college. That would be a uh, that'd be a fun debate. Sure. He, he takes the opposite side of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey you man, just th- tell me the opposite side to think of anything. I'll come on. That's fine. <laughs> whether I believe it or not, that's, that doesn't matter. <laughs> cool. Next well, thanks, time. man. Let's uh, let's do this again in the future. You got it. Love to. Cool. Thanks, Brennan. Yeah. All right. The great Brendan Quinn from The Athletic and The Moving Screen Pod. Definitely listen to those guys. Great Big Ten basketball talk uh, over there. And if you haven't listened to the episode with Rick Boyages, uh, I highly recommend that one too. It's not too far back in their feed. They did it earlier this year. Uh, all right, Coach. How you doing? You you feeling up to answering some mailbag questions? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 time to talk some hoops. Let's go. I apologize if you guys heard the there was like doorbells ringing and all kind. Of, my daughter was getting home from school. There was a lot of action uh, here at the house. So if you got any background noise there, I apologize. Um, all right, so let's get to some of these questions. The first question here, actually, we're going to take these first two questions together. So Greg says, any unofficial talk about Duncan? And Jack says, what about CJ Gunn? He was getting playing time a few games ago, but hasn't gotten any in the last few. Do you see him in the portal? So here's the way that I'll address this, Coach. You know, for a long time on this show, we kind of had the philosophy of we're not going to speculate on transfers. Um, I still think that is a smart policy to have, especially in the season. But the landscape has changed a little bit. I mean, transferring wasn't quite as likely four or five years ago as it is now, especially with, you know, guys being able to not have to sit out. And so it is a topic of conversation. So I don't think the questions are invalid. But, you know, as a general rule, what makes a guy more likely to transfer? Well, I think there's two things, not getting a lot of minutes and living away from home. And if you've got a guy that where two of those things apply, he's probably more likely to transfer. So, you know, I would say without getting into specifics, I think there are probably more things that I've heard just in the background about Duncan that would seem to make a transfer more likely for him possibly. But, you know, we've got to wait and see how that plays out toward the end of the season. There's nothing I've heard about CJ Gunn, again, outside of, hey, here's a guy who was playing and now he's not. And that always, I guess, puts a guy at risk of being a transfer. But there's nothing I've heard that suggests, you know, anything other than that. So that's kind of how I would address it, you know, with those two guys individually, Um, you know, because I just, again, I don't think it's our place to speculate too much about that stuff, especially during the season, but I understand why people ask the questions. You have to in this day and age. Do you have anything to add on either one of those guys? You know, it's always a decision that players can make, families can make now. Uh, It's made a lot easier than it was uh, in the past. 
So you're going to have that. And one, for me, it's it's not an indicator that something's wrong with Coach Woodson or the staff. Almost every staff in the country is going to have some level of turnover. And if they don't, that'll be a surprise. Uh, because when you have 13 scholarships, uh, you have guys who might love being at a school. And then they decide, you know, you only got a year or two left. I'm not going to play here. I'm behind. Uh, I don't, I'm not mad. I want to just leave and go play. There, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of factors. And, and, and these are young men and their families. And, and some of those factors might be good decisions. Some of them might be, you know, just kind of, um, you know, off the cuff, not happy type of thing. And I think we just need to respect their decisions and talk about it when it happens uh, and, and not, so, you know, not so much. I, I do think that everyone who's not in a rotation could potentially transfer because of, of playing time. Now, if the coaches have talked to them and maybe what's in the future and, hey, stick with us this first year, you know, we're going to have some people leaving. Here's where we see you. Uh, it doesn't mean that everyone who's not playing is gone automatically. But I think I think it is in a general sense, Jared, that people who aren't playing or aren't playing as much could potentially see that as as a main reason of, of trying to find a program where they would fit in a little bit better. But other than general, I don't want to talk about CJ or Logan. Logan, just um, just because out of respect for for them as individuals. Yep. All right, from Joey, what would have to happen over the next eight games for you to worry about this team? I feel like we have a really good idea of who this team is, one that can beat anyone when they're firing all cylinders, but can be inconsistent. I guess home losses would make me worry, but with the Big Ten title pretty much wrapped up, I find myself wanting to just play out the string and get to the NCAA tournament to see what we've really got. It's an interesting question. What would make you worry? You know, I, I'm not sure, Jared. I'm at a point where I'm going to worry about the team. There there are things that I enjoy and don't enjoy, offense, defense, or some, some of those particular things, but this seven out of eight – the bounce back from a loss at Maryland to win two outstanding games against outstanding opponents uh, just shows me that the program is in a, in a good place. It, it is a fifth, sixth, seventh seed in the NCAA tournament, more than likely. Uh, obviously, a series of losses would would not uh, be good, but that stuff happens uh, in, in basketball. Michigan State's in good hands in a good program, and they've lost some games. It, I do think Indiana has made progress under Mike Woodson. We are winning basketball games on a regular basis now after a stretch of you know, major injuries from Hood Shafino being out and then Xavier being out and then Race being out. We've just found ourselves, and we've always said it's how you play. And, and I, I know we didn't play well at Maryland, but that was a competitive game. Chances to get back in it to the end. It wasn't a horrific, horrible, horrible effort. So I don't know that there's anything that would really make me worry. I, I think, obviously, a long losing streak right now, you might worry about where you are in the tournament or, or selection in the tournament. But I don't know that this team's going to lose six out of seven. Uh, maybe go 500, be in the tournament. Uh, selection Sunday comes, we're enjoying selection Sunday. I, I think that's just the natural progression. I think I'm guilty of this. I think a lot of people are, we want, we want that final four. We want that next banner immediately and, and any coaching staff coming in, even with great players, it takes some time to, to get where, where you want. And if you would have told me we're ranked 19th, 20th and fifth, uh, f a five seed at the beginning of the year, I'm taking it. So I'm not worried. Um, 
I get happy when we win. I get a little ticked off when we lose. Um, but, but worry, I, I think that's past, uh, me a, a little bit, um, major worry. I agree with that. Um, I guess the way that I would look at it is, you know, this winning streak, this bounce back, you know, since the three game losing streak, a lot of it has been built on playing at home. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is the regular season. You play at home, you play on the road. That said, they did have a very good road performance against Illinois, which shows you, hey, they can do this and they can deliver a really good performance away from home. So that helps. But I think if we really, you know, kind of drill into this question and, and, and find something that might be a worry, you know, the last two road performances haven't been great. They didn't play great at Minnesota, but they won. They didn't play great at Maryland and they lost. So I think with four out of the next five on the road, four out of the next five, all against teams that can definitely beat you uh, in their place, but teams that you could go beat, um, I think. You know, obviously Purdue being the toughest, uh, but, you know, Michigan State, that's going to be a tough atmosphere, but they're a team that Indiana matches up pretty well against right now. You know, Michigan and Northwestern, kind of the same thing. I think if we spend the majority of our time in these four road games playing more like we did against Minnesota and Maryland than we did, than we did against Illinois – it'll make me a little worried about our ability to to carry some of the really good play that we've seen during this winning streak into the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament because all those games are away from home. Now, they're neutral, so it's not the exact same as you know on the road. But I think that's the thing I would like to see. I'd like to see Jalen get a little more consistent with his shot away from home. You know, I'd like to see Trey and Tamar be more consistent offensive forces away from home. Um, you know, and so if that doesn't happen... I guess the worry would be, okay, maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high as I would have hoped. Because if they go do that on the road in some of these games, now you start thinking a lot more stuff is possible. So I'm kind of with you. Like, I feel really good. I feel stable. I like what this team can do. If they just play kind of normal over the the rest of the regular season, I'm going to feel good heading into tournament play. But if the, if the road performances are closer to the Minnesota-Maryland, it is going to worry me just a little bit because I want to see us some of the things that have been difference makers at home. I'd like to at least see some of that start to translate away from home more consistently. Yeah, we're, we're, it depends on how you define worry, too. I, I yeah. took it as a macro. You know, I, I'm not worrying macro about the program. Um some basketball play, yeah, there's some concern maybe with, with those road performances. I totally agree with what you're saying there. But macro, I've kind of gone you know, up and down since Coach Woodson's been here uh, as a fan. And you know, I'm just at the situation where whether I like what they do offensively or not, it's worked. Um, and we're winning games at Illinois. So I'm focusing on the fact we went on the road and beat a, a, a top 25 team in Illinois. We we beat the number one team in the country. We beat uh, and we got revenge over Rutgers. But winning in the Big Ten on the road is tough. And then the other thing, I'll go back to what Mike DeCourcy said, is we guarded at Minnesota. We guarded at, at Maryland. And that's exactly what you want to do. When nights when your offense is gone, you want to be able yeah. to guard. And in, and in those games, we were able to win at Minnesota. We were able to be somewhat in a game until late uh, at Maryland because we – we were guarding. We did not do that in that uh, three-game losing streak. And so, uh, you know, the road is just brutal uh, wherever you – I think I think it's going to be tough for Indiana to win. I think we're better than Michigan. We should win. But they're they're backed into a corner uh, NCAA tournament-wise. We're going to get their best. 
and, and I think the Northwestern game is more of uh, a revenge. I think you know you're going to go in. You already lost to Northwestern, and the matchup uh, inside, especially, I think TJD will will really be focused in that game. But you're absolutely right, basketball wise. Uh, shooting away from home, the, the the guard play away from home is a basketball concern. I took that question more as, you know, are you worried that the program and, and this and that? Um, no, I'm trying to be a little more even keel with the direction of the program under under Coach Woodson um, and, and not be so caught up in, in the standing offense and all of that. Uh, we just need good, you know, we just need good players. Um, and we've had them in the last seven out of eight. So yeah, that's where I'm at. All right, uh, let's take these next two together. Mike says, any update on the return of X? Is he still shooting with a boot on? And then our buddy Elbows In says, let's talk about how teams approach bringing back a player like X into a team that is playing so well. What are the risks and rewards? Let me take the first part. You take the second part. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've gotten two different messages today. One from someone who said, get ready for X to play. He's back. And another one from someone who said, it still sounds like it's two to three weeks. So take that for what it's worth. He's clearly nearing uh, his return. I, you know, I, I'm kind of to the point now where I'm not going to be surprised when we get the, you know, the tweet 90 minutes before the game, like X is, you know, in uniform and warming up. It feels like we're getting, you know, closer and closer to that, but I don't, I don't have an exact sense yet of if that's going to be Saturday against Michigan or if we're talking, you know, more a couple weeks down the road, like Michigan State Purdue type thing. So I don't really know. But it, we're at least getting now to the point where it's kind of I would be on X Watch a little bit, kind of looking for that, um, you know, in the in kind of the pregame stuff. But the more interesting question, and Mike DeCourcy talked about this some when we spoke with him, is the risks and rewards of bringing a guy like X back, where everybody has kind of fallen into their roles, and you know things are going well. And look, the thing with X is it's his great strength and his great weakness. He knows one way to play, and it is all out, and he's not someone who you put on the court in kind of a supporting role. Like, if he's out there, he's X, you know, and he's having impact for better or worse, mostly for better, but we know what some of the downsides are. Um, And so I'm curious kind of how you approach that generally, and then what we know about X, what are some of the unique challenges of bringing a guy like him in when you've kind of got a freshman point guard who's kind of settled into his role now? Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple ways you can go about it. One, uh, it's X's team. You put the ball back in X's team, and Hood Shafino moves off off the ball predominantly. You can only have one major one, as Mike said. You do that because he's the senior, he's the veteran. That's what he does better. The other way is to say, hey, we got something going. Hood Shafino's going to bring the ball up. You're going to be a, a secondary driver and pick-and-roll guy on the side. We still need you to do that. That That's just an X and O strategy that uh, I think – but you play him. I, I think medically, is there a minutes, wrote, you know, limitation for him would be a concern. But you don't. I, I don't think you just gradually try to incorporate him back in. You build him up in practice, and once he gets cleared, you've got to go short of a hard minutes uh, limitation. And I just think you put him back in one because that he he's earned it, and two, he's going to make you a better basketball team at his best. The concern is. A couple things. Physically, is he ready to play that great pressure defense, uh, get downhill? Uh, Is he mentally ready to run the offense, do the things that he needs to do, play at a high level, take the right shots? Because when he does that at the end of the year last year, man, he is unbelievable. When he doesn't do that, then our whole team kind of suffers in – 
in some poor play because he's trying to force stuff too much. So the mental side of it uh, is is just as important as the the physical side because now you have Hood Shafino, you have Trey Galloway, they're all working in in cohesion. And now you're sticking someone in, but it's something you're going to have to. The risk is too great not to, not to do it uh, in 25, 30 minute stretches because he does make you you better. And you also worry about the back end, Jared. Too does Tamar lose time? Does you know where where does that rotation suffer? Miller Cop has found his niche, as Mike said as well today. So it is a dynamic which you just got to talk to the team. And again, I've thought. I thought all along that Coach Woodson was a very good communicator in his team and very honest and, and brutally honest with, with his guys, whether it be roles or discipline or whatever. And he's going to have to be on his best to kind of mend all of that because, man, you win seven of eight with this group. And now you, even though you everyone knows it's good and everyone loves X and wants X to be there, there's some some dynamics of play that are going to come in that, that need to be massaged and, and, and watched. But man, if we can win seven, or eight without X and we bring X in at average to better than average working our way in. And I will tell you and everyone else probably need to be patient for a game or two. It, it you know, the, the first couple of games is going to be sloppy, uh, it's decision-making and all of that. And, and so therefore we may take a loss or something not to sit there and blame X and question whether he should be back or not, or those things, please, please avoid that. We want X back. We're better with X. And the ultimate goal now is I think we have enough buildup that you can handle a loss or, or two in trying to get that team back into things. I, I, I really don't see, um, a situation where we're not in the NCAA tournament, where we're not uh, in, in position to, to make a run in the Big Ten tournament, and so that's only going to make us better. Yeah, and look, I, I think Coach Woodson has handled races reintegration well. He's not playing as many minutes, but he's starting, he's finishing games. I think he's been put in a spot to, you know, to succeed. Um, and you know, you're right about X. I mean, at the absolute minimum. You know, once he comes back, you've got another ball handler. You don't. We don't have to live in constant fear of Jalen and Trey picking up foul trouble and not having someone who can initiate the offense. So all that stuff, and then so you're you're going to be better because of that baseline. Same thing defensively, and then it's just how much better can you get after that? You know, and I think the fact that X is a great teammate and beloved by his teammates is going to help. You know, I think if maybe it was, you know, if there's a different relationship there, then maybe that wouldn't be as good. Um, you know, you just, you know, X is going to go out and play balls to the walls and it will probably take him a little while to figure out when to go, when to pull back. He's going to be a little out of rhythm, just like we've seen from race. But I agree with you. If you have to sacrifice, I don't mean sacrifice like you want to lose the games, but you know, you go out and you let him play in the regular season because you know what the upside can be and whether you're, I would rather be a six seed with X than a four seed without X. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Because I just think the upside of having him, uh, he, he's such a good player. You know, he really is. Um, and so I'm fascinated to see what happens with it. it it's what we started out all year, but going back to North Carolina where he had <laughs> multiple drivers on the court at all times. I mean, you, you yeah. know, now you have – Hood Shafino and X out there, and then when one needs to blow, you bring in Galloway. So you just still now have two ball handlers that can run the pick and roll, put you know Trace Jackson Davis in, in in motion when he catches at the elbow or the high post. It can dive and drive. I mean, they've gone to more of that action here offensively. Man, and, you know, and nothing against Tamar and, and Miller and 
but those guys can't drive it as well as those other three can, and yep. that's the name of the game. So, yes, it makes us better. We want it to happen as soon as possible, but I'm expecting a shaky X for at least a week. Uh, and, and, you know, when you do that in, in these tight games, especially on the road, uh, that, that could the team could run into some struggles as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I will say that, you know, the blessing in disguise, I suppose, or if there's been a positive from X being out, it's really allowed Trey to spread his wings and develop more, yeah. um, you know, as a guy who can do a lot of things. And so now you bring him back and you add what Trey's already added. Boy, it can make Indiana really, really dynamic. Um, okay, let's hit some of these other ones from Barbara. Our former players in support of Coach Woodson. Some post-positive comments on social media. Jared Jeffries is at the Purdue game. Our former players welcome at practice or into the locker room before and after the game. Yes, it certainly seems so. Um, I think there have been maybe some isolated incidents, uh, uh, incidents, isolated comments maybe from former players that have you know questioned certain things when the team's been playing bad. I think most of that comes from you know, a place of just really caring about the program and wondering why things, you know, aren't going very well. But I think overall on balance, it seems like that's kind of brought a lot of the, you know, the quote unquote family together. Um, and people have been very supportive. So yeah, I think, uh, the answer to that question is yes. I think the vast majority do support coach Woodson. Um, this from Jim, who had the better freshman season, Jalen or Romeo? which I found to be a really interesting, probably an unfair comparison, but an interesting question. I'm curious to get your thoughts, Coach. Man, without, I give preparing, I, without preparing, I'm going to say Romeo, but that's probably just based on stats. But the reason you go Jalen hood Shafinos because we're winning more, and I like winning, uh, and stats are stats. And I, I, I'm not trying to diss Romeo. I mean, he's a heck of a talent. But Hood Shafino has impacted winning more than Romeo uh, is my is my quick answer. But statistically, Romeo was a gift uh, that that we just didn't provide enough around him and coaching and all of that stuff, you know. Uh, so I, I think Romeo is my quick answer without necessarily really thinking about it. But man, I love I'm a big Jalen Hood Shafino fan, and, and I'm going to watch him as, as he goes in, in the pros for. For some reason, I, I'm not big on the one and duns, and the and the, the people have been left early after one year from IU. I don't necessarily follow them as much, mm-hmm. you know. Two, give me two years or three years, you know, um, like Victor and and that, and I'm okay. And I really follow and watch in, in the pros, but the one year guys. But I think I'm going to follow Hood Shafino because I just like his demeanor. I like the fact that he's come in and and and, and is a defender and an offensive player as well. So, yeah, I don't know that I answered that well, but I'm going to go with Romeo base because I, mean, I think he was just a better scorer and, and a better player all around. It's uh, a hard question. I mean, the way that it's phrased also, who had the better freshman season? Well, I'm sure Jalen is enjoying himself a lot more than Romeo <laughs> enjoyed himself yeah. during that ridiculous 2019 season where we lost 12 out of 13. Um, you know, and I think it's it's kind of unfair. I mean, Jalen stepped into something that is – you know, I mean, it's certainly proven to be a more stable situation, even though things looked a little shaky there midseason, um, you know, but just a better supporting cast around him, um, you know. And so I think in that sense, you know, Jalen has played his role very well. But I think it is very easy to underrate what Romeo was as a freshman. 
Now, if you just look at it statistically, either in raw numbers or efficiency numbers, Romeo is basically better than Jalen in everything but three-point percentage. You know, And obviously, his wrist injury affected that. Um, Romeo was a very underrated defender, a much more disruptive defender in terms of steals and blocks than Jalen is. And Romeo, if you go back and look, you know, in the big games Indiana won, when we beat Wisconsin, when we won at Michigan State, and there were others, you know, the Louisville game, he made so many big plays and big shots down the stretch just to give that team a chance to win as many games as it did. Um, and, I, you know, I think history is going to smile on Romeo's one year at Indiana, you know, once people get a little bit further removed from it. Uh, and I know you can't, totally divorce a you know a player who only plays one season from the results of that season um but you know i i think i think romeo was the better overall player i think jalen has been able to contribute more to winning uh in part just because he's had a lot more positives go on around him but it's it really is splitting hairs they're two phenomenal players um so i think it really kind of just depends on whatever criteria you're you're going to look at but they're you know, I mean, two of the best freshmen we've had here in a long time. They're both awesome. Uh, okay, next up from Jim Tom Hoosier. Based on the remaining schedule, what do you expect their record and conference finish will be? Because predicting Indiana records ahead of time always works out real well. <laughs> what do you, you got think? Three home games and four road games, right? Is that right? Do we still have three or do we have two home games? No, you're right. We finished with two home games. Yes. Yeah. I say minimum we win three, minimum. We go three and four, so that puts. No, we us have three, yeah, nine. yeah, three home games and four road games because we have the Illinois game yeah. too. I, I think somewhere three and four, four and three, and, and that doesn't mean we play bad. I, I think going to Purdue is going to be brutal. Uh, you know, Michigan State. I would love to get two road games uh, next with Michigan and Northwestern, and think we can. But if you split those. Uh, hopefully not slip up on, on the, at home. Now you've gotten four, uh, and you go to Michigan State, that duel of Michigan State and Purdue, and, and you're really playing with house money kind of because those teams probably should win at home even when you play well. So, uh, you know, I would like to see four. If you see four, you're at 12, 12 and 8, and I think a lot of us had us in that 12, 13, 14 range at the beginning of the season, not mm-hmm. counting injuries. I mean – Honestly, if we figure finish twelve and eight, Jared, and and we don't lose any players, uh, we win at least two more. That's fourteen and six. I think that's you know, I think that's pretty solid year. And then especially to come back from all all the adversity of, of three major players uh, missing time in, in yeah. most of our losses. Uh, that, that's another epiphany that I had too. Is like, damn, coach, relax. Uh, you, you lost Hood Shafino, then you lose X, then you lose race, and you're bitching about losing. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So I gave myself a talk. Um, uh, <laughs> gave yourself a little pep talk. <laughs> it, it happened after we beat, beat Purdue. I gave myself a little talk. You know, we all need to we all need to get inside our our heads a little bit and be honest with ourselves. Like, man, any program, we're a five seed, and we've lost three major players for significant amounts of games, and most of our losses have come at that time. That's why I don't worry. But this is a brutal stretch, Jared. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we're bad if you go on the road and lose to Michigan. It doesn't mean we're bad. You know, yes, some concerns or worry or whatever the definition is because you want to win them all. Uh, obviously, you don't watch a game, just kind of watch a game. You watch to win, you know, or you play to win the game. But um, 
three and four minimum, four and three likely. If anything over that, man, we're cooking is my my guess. Yeah, that's that's pretty much right where I'm at. Uh, I think uh, I think that's well said. From David, has Malik turned the corner on his frequent fouling? He played 32 minutes with two fouls combined against Rutgers and Purdue. I'm going to tell you, too, here's a little part of that epiphany. I think the coaching staff identified that fouling problem, and I saw Trey playing a lot better. I saw yep. Malik playing a lot better without fouling. Now, now, maybe knock on wood, you know, that's just two-game stretch where things went their way, but I, but I see their hands being back a little bit more. I see Trey, when he's closing out, is really throwing his hands back, so someone got a hold of him in individual development, or they're, they're drilling that in practice because I'm seeing both guys' hands a little bit higher when they body up and not so low, and it's almost deliberate. Uh, that they throw their their hands up, um, Trey, both of those guys. So the answer to Malik is yes. I think he is on that spot, and I watch him get three fouls in, in th- ten minutes tomorrow, and th- that'll show you what I know. But you know, there's a lot of things that go goes into that. The other one thing with Malik is he's got to stop going for shot fakes. I mean, he plays really hard, bodies people up, stops them, has good position, and then that guy will pull back, and he just then then he's he wants to block shots and 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 play so hard but he's got to be the second guy off the off the ground you work that hard like his defense has been solid and yeah. then he's the first guy off the ground and then that guy's got him and then they lean in and he can't stop his body and he fouls so you know the coaching staff seems like they're working with him be the second guy off and just you may not block the shot but you discourage the shot instead of fouling and giving two free throws but his lower body work has been fantastic defensively. His feet are fantastic defensively. It's just been his hands and his lean um, as far as Malik. And the same with uh, Galloway, his hustle and his in, in, in position. But then he's got the hands, and that draws the attention of the officials. So that that's something that sometimes we don't, as fans, see coaches do. But that one technique, I thought, against two quality opponents, too. It's not like you're playing, you know, Southwestern Cupcake State and you don't have to guard, so you don't foul. Um, these yep. are two solid teams. So I, I, I think and I hope that it has been corrected. We'll, we'll see if it, if it uh, stays. Malik uh, had a media availability today, and I thought it was great. And, you know, I think his development story is a really good one because while he was struggling, you know, Coach Woodson was very open in his comments, basically saying Malik just needs to learn how hard you have to play at this level. He's really skilled. We believe in him. He's got to learn how hard. And Malik said the same thing today. You know, the coaches have been teaching me how hard I have to play, and he's kind of figured that out. And it's like he figured out how to play hard, but then he couldn't figure out how to play hard without fouling. And now he's bringing that into it. And when you add that with his natural fearlessness – and his incredible offensive skill. I mean, that guy has so many things he can do on the offensive end. You're seeing the production. And I think there's still another level or two that he can get to. Um, you know, and that is uh, that is another reason to be optimistic about what this team can do down the stretch. All right, let's hit these last few here relatively quickly from Roy. Please share your thoughts on the pros and cons of dialing back on minutes played for our starters to keep them fresh for the tourney. Yeah, I, I just think it, it's vital. You have in a lot of sports tapering, and you know your your Olympic sports people, uh, 
cross country, swimming, all of that, you taper towards the end of the season so you have peak performance. Uh, I just think that applies to basketball too because you're going to have to play three or four games in a row in the Big Ten tournament. You're going to have to go in the NCAA tournament and play a, a Thursday, a Saturday, Friday, Sunday. And the wear and tear of an entire season will will get to you. I think we saw that with race last year. He, so much was asked of him, and he just ran out of gas. So the, the reduction in minutes is to t- try to protect that, but you also have to win games. So, Jared, maybe at the point now, if, if you're a five seed and, and there's no locks because you can't lose out, you still need to win games. But you do have a little bit of leeway now that, you know, three or four minutes here, three or four minutes there, and then you've also built up your depth to where you can trust some of these guys a little bit more. I just think that's important. Uh, and that's not a criticism. It's hard. Man, you're coaching. You want to play your best. Like, who in the hell would ever want to take TJD out? <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely dumb to take TJD out. But you want him playing in the Final Four at the same level that he's playing right now. You don't You don't want to just, lo- you know, put everything you got in, in mid-February and then not have him at, at your best. So that that is a tough thing to do, you know. I mean, you don't want him out. Dang, but but I do think you got to reduce the minutes. Um, I know Woody might want him out so he doesn't catch him so fast on the all-time scoring list. Maybe uh, maybe taper his minutes a little bit there. Uh, Max has a related question. Said, "Do we need to find a way to get TJD more rest?" And I think you know we would all say yes if we can. If so, what lineup do you trust out there without him? Some of that may be dependent on the time of the game because a lineup that you would trust in the clutch might be a little bit different than you know, a more fun lineup or a more explosive lineup that you might want to try, you know, with 16 minutes left in the second half. But what would be, if I'm telling you right now, okay, you know, Trace is in foul trouble and we're in, you know, there's six minutes left, you know, in a big game, what would you trust as the five out there the most? I I think you just slide Malik in. Yeah. You just slide Malik into the five because you're going to need Race out there for all that cleanup stuff that Mike was talking about and that senior leadership. It seems like he trusts Race down the stretch. Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk about why not leave Malik in. You know, Malik's been playing well. He'll jump hook over Edie. You know, he's really played well. Do you want him? And he played well down the stretch at Xavier too. So there's some level of trust there. But if if you had to go, I mean, then whatever guards were were playing well uh, out there. But I, I think you just slide Malik in there. I think he's at a spot now playing hard, not fouling, doing whatever, where he's that next man up at that five. I think you would – and, and that's how your team is set up, to have a couple bigs. You know, you put race in there, and now, you you know, you move a Miller cop down, which we've all been clamoring for, but that's just not going to happen right now until the roster's different. Um, that that I'm not sure you want to go to that in a foul trouble or a situation because it's – unless it's a matchup-dependent situation. But I think those are your two options. You go Malik or you go small. Uh, if TJD, I think those are the two options. Yeah, and it, and it would probably be dependent on matchups. You know, I guess that yeah. would be the argument for going small. Is you know, Trace is just, I mean, he's such a productive player that if you don't have him in there, you know, you're not going to have his shot blocking, and Malik's not going to replace that. You know, so you're probably going to need to get a little bit more scoring. I guess that would be the argument: is do you play Race or Malik, and then surround him with shooters? You know, move Miller down, and maybe put you know Scoop in, so you have another shooter in there with Jalen and uh, Trey. Just probably depends on who I you're just, playing. I just think Race is struggling right now to score in the post, so that eliminates any post scoring 
yeah. Renew can score in the post. And again, that's yeah. just because race is coming back off that knee. He doesn't have the lift. He doesn't have the quickness inside. He's in there for toughness, rebounding, blocking a shot here or there, running the right stuff as a senior. That's what he's needed right now until he gets back. But, boy, Malik can score to basketball. So if you need some inside scoring, you're going to have to go to Malik. Uh, maybe you go to Malik and Small, uh, depending on matchups. But, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty comfortable that Malik's back to, to where he was early in the season. You know, and the big thing that Race has been doing and that I think is keeping him in the games late is he's making his free throws. I think he's 16 of 18 from the line since he's been back. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. You know, again, I, you know, for those of you who are in the community, you know, I, I just did some research on some of the lineup stuff. And look, you know, in the five games since Race has been back, you know, we are better with Malik on the floor overall, right? If you just look at the overall numbers, our net rating is better with Malik on the floor. The issue is it's a small sample size. And so the big run against Ohio State does a lot of heavy lifting in there. And, you know, race has really been impactful in some particular situations, like the end of the Purdue game, the end of the Minnesota game. And I think that's probably a role that he's going to keep because the coaching staff trusts him. I am kind of interested to see as this goes forward, if Malik does start getting some more minutes you know, in the first half and then toward the middle of the second half when, when Woody likes to go to his bench because the productivity is there. Um, that's, so that's going to be interesting to see. And I would not, you know, if you told me, hey, Malik is going to start getting four or five more of those minutes than race, but race is the guy that kind of starts and ends, uh, you know, I would not be against that. I do think that there is probably some room there for Malik if he can stay out of foul trouble to get a few more minutes because he just right now is able to do more things and provide uh, more of a threat um, on both ends than race is, but race is proving that, you know, when you kind of want the old guy in there that can do the veteran stuff at the end of the game, that stuff matters, you know, and he's been able to do that so far. So just something to watch Uh as we go forward. Old guys sometimes get the job done. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We do. Uh, all right. Last question from Tony. Uh, and we kind of covered this, but it's a little bit of a different angle. He says, how much is it being under or overblown about X's eventual return? It will have to be measured and evaluated, but it seems to me that the prevailing view right now by many fans is it will be disruptive and detriment- detrimental. That is certainly the fear. He said, I would like to think that he will have had ample time in practice to start getting some run and getting reintegrated to the team before we ever actually see him dressed out for a game. It seems like many assume he will be cleared on a Tuesday and start logging 38 minutes in a game on Wednesday. And you kind of hinted at that, you know, if you're going to bring X into, you know, what is a team now that's on a good groove, he needs to practice and kind of work himself up, maybe not to being able to play his full allotment of minutes because he was a 40 minute right. guy, um, you know, before a guy who could play that much, but you've got to have a pretty good, uh, like you're not going to put X in at 50%. There's no point for him or for the team, you know? So I think he would have to prove that he's, at least, you know, whatever percentage you think race is of his normal play, he's got to at least be there, you know, where he can do some of that stuff and have proven it in practice and, you know, given those guys a little bit of a chance to reacclimate, even if he's more playing kind of the, you know, I mean, one thing that I could see is him kind of taking over the Rob Finnessy role from last year, where he's kind of in a backup point guard, defensive type role, you know, kind of leading that. We don't really have the second unit as much this year as we did last year. But I could see him kind of being worked into that way a little bit, um, you know, and being a guy who can then take over the primary ball handling duties when Jalen gets a rest. Um, but yeah, I think it would be uh, it would be irresponsible in coaching malpractice to just throw him out there without having seen 
you know, him get back to doing some of those things in practice. Um, and then oh, giving absolutely. him some ramp up time. And that's why I said he, when he's ready to play, you're going to play him up to the minute uh, restriction by the medical people. Plain and simple. And to anyone who thinks it's going to be disruptive, I told you it might be a game or two to, to get its fill. But, you know, it, if you like donuts and you have six donuts and you have a chance to get, you know, three more, you're not going to turn down the three more donuts. You're going to ask for the other three donuts. And now you have nine donuts. And it's going to be a great Saturday morning. You, you don't turn down extra in anything. I mean, you just don't. X, we want X back. And I don't care if it's 25 minutes, if, if Tim Garl says or whatever. X makes us better. The question is, can do we have the X back that we had at the end of last year? And even if we don't, um, the kid has earned a right to come back and play, be disruptive or not. Give me those extra donuts soon. I'm hungry. <laughs> not an analogy that I was expecting, but it strangely works. Uh, and look... <laughs> If he comes back and he struggles and the team struggles for a little bit, you're a basketball fan. Be an adult. And, that's you right. Know, that's right. And, that's and, a great line. And, and this, I'm pulling that out. We're going to start using that as a drop. You're a basketball fan. Be an adult. We all need to be told that sometimes. You know? Uh, all right. Get inside your we... head. Figure it out. <laughs> Enjoy uh, this team. We're winning again. Hey, if you've listened this far and you aren't in our community yet, well, you should get in our community assemblycall.com slash community. This is a taste. We don't do this every Friday, but we do it probably like 90% of the Fridays during the season. Uh, and again, this doesn't even count Coach's Coach's Corner stuff, Coach Adranya's IU Film Room. You know, I mentioned I did, however long that article was, 1,500, 2,000 words analyzing race and Malik. Uh, so you get that kind of next level stuff when you're in the community. Plus, as I saw someone put here in the chat, the paywall helps to keep the haters out. It does. That's really the reason why we did the paywall in the first place was to keep a lot of the idiots out of there that end up coming into the chat mob and the drive-by commenters and all that nonsense. Like it's a good place to go have good, smart, intelligent uh, conversation. As long as Jay's not in there, it's good for the intelligent conversations. Uh, you know, Jay does pop in every now and then with some bracketology takes that no one needs to hear. But yeah. other than that, you get real intelligent donut uh, <laughs> stories too. Yeah. I mean, it's top notch. <laughs> the analogies <laughs> you know, are just unbelievable. The analogies are just top notch. The, the the drops are top notch. I mean, it's worth you know. <laughs> a monthly subscription fee just to see how much an idiot I can be. <laughs> so anyway, we'd love to have you join us. Assemblycall.com slash community. There's a free trial there. Um, and we, of course, will be here live after the Michigan game. Uh, we'll get out of here on that, Coach. Give me your gut feeling on how Indiana comes and plays Saturday, heading on the road after two really impressive home performances. I, I'm a little concerned because I think Michigan is going to circle this game and, and be ready to go. That uh, they need it, they need it bad. Um, and I just really, you know, you're right about the last couple of of road games. the 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 reason that where I'm not as concerned is we've had an extra day of rest, unlike the Maryland game. Yeah, and I think this team has found a focus. So I think we're in a battle. Uh, I hope that we find a way to pull it out. I'm not going to be really disappointed if we don't, because I just think winning on the road is tough. Winning on the road against a program that's that's desperate and talented. I mean, this team has talent. talent. It's not just a bad team. It has talent. At the beginning of the year, this is one you're like, man, we hope we can win it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a little worried. 
but I'm going to be rooting them on again. I'm in a better place in, in the big picture. I, I think regardless, uh, we're going to, we're going to be okay. Yeah. I'm approaching these next two games. I really want to see us win one of them. You know, right. I think that would show a lot if you can win at Michigan and this Northwestern team is good. Like this is not the normal Northwestern team. Um, you know, they're solid. They've actually weirdly played better on the road than at home. Um, I want to see us win one. But if we go and we give, you know, a good professional effort against Michigan, but they're playing with their hair on fire and making a bunch of shots and they beat us, you know, tip, I mean, you know, look, we'll get on the postgame show and be frustrated for an hour because that's what we do. But I don't think it's going to be too much cause for concern. I mean, we got to go compete like we, you can't have a total backslide, but there, there's a chance that we could lose, you know, both of these games. Um, and feel okay with it based on how we play. So I think that's an important context to go into these games with. That said, I think if we can go pull one of them out, it'll really help solidify what we've seen over the last eight games. You know, it'll really tell you like, hey, a lot of what we saw is real. Um, you know, probably not going to go win both of them, but go get one. And that, to me, really helps keep the momentum going, especially if you can then beat Illinois and then have another, you know, uh, you know, duo of, of road games and then see if you can steal one of those. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a fascinating game because Michigan has dudes, you know, the matchups are interesting. Um, I'm really, really fascinated to see how we approach it and how we come out and play. Um, I think the one thing in our favor is I, you know, TJD has just been on a mission uh, and I know he'll take the mano a mano matchup against Hunter Dickinson seriously. Because it's one he actually he hasn't fared that well in. And Michigan's beaten us nine no. out of ten games. It, you know we've had a good half against them basically. <laughs> you know so uh, I'm I'm really fascinated to see how we come out and play. Should be a fun one, and uh, hopefully we play well and we can have a nice positive post game show. All right, well, coach, yep. uh, always good talking to you here on Banner Friday. We yes, appreciate sir. Mike DeCourcy being here. We appreciate Brendan Quinn being here. We appreciate all of the mailbag questions. Those of you who become new community members, we appreciate you uh, giving us a shot and trying us out. And all you current community members, you all are awesome. We appreciate you guys being here. And uh, have a great Friday night. Have a great Saturday day. And we will talk to you guys tomorrow night on the postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. You're a basketball fan. Be an adult. Be an adult. (laughs) Uh, See everybody. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.